right? I love Thanksgiving, but can I tell you, this Thanksgiving was a little bit stressful. Any, anybody's Thanksgivings or, or family holidays ever stressful? And, and, and my mom is, man, I love her to death. Um, not literally to kill her, but, but I love her like crazy. And can I tell you, she worries and stresses out and it stresses me out. You ever been around somebody who's constantly stressing and like just being around them just like sets your nerves on end and you're just going, you need to chill, right? Um, some of you are like looking at your spouse and elbowing them. I see it. Um, I want to tell you guys the story. One morning, Death was walking into a city when a man stopped him and asked what he was doing. And Death answered, I'm going to kill 10,000 people today. The man replied, that's terrible that you'd kill 10,000 people. Death responded, taking people when their time has come is my job. Today, I have to get my 10,000. Later, as death was coming out of the city, that man met him again, and again he was furious. He said, you told me this morning that you were going to take 10,000 people, but 70,000 died today. Death answered, don't get mad at me. I only took 10,000. Worry killed all the rest. Truth is that worry has an uncanny knack for killing people. The poet Robert Frost wrote, The reason why worry kills more people than work is because more people worry than work. Seriously, worry has become an American pastime. For many people, worry has become so ingrained in their personalities that once the old worries are gone, they search for new ones. They become dependent on worry as a lens through which to view life, and they've forgotten any other way to live. Is there any reason to be worried today? Most people would say there is. High energy costs, a a worsening economy, rogue nuclear nations, threats of terrorism, widespread job layoffs, and tension in the Middle East. Can I tell you, all of these things make for uncertain times. Economic stress has taken its toll on Americans' emotional and physical health. Surveys show that more than half of Americans report irritability, anger, fatigue, and sleeplessness. Almost half say they self-medicate by overeating or indulging in unhealthy foods. Money and the economy topped the list of stressors for at least 80% of those that were surveyed. Finances now overshadow the more typical daily stressors of work and relationship. Fortunately, in the midst of a world of worry warts, Jesus isn't worried. Even better, he has a definitive word for you. And in Matthew 25 through 34, which is our text today, he says, don't worry, be hopeful. Now, there are some passages in the New Testament that are difficult to interpret. But this passage isn't one of those. Jesus uses the worry, the, the word worry six times, and he says, don't worry three times. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to open up to Matthew 6, verses 25 to 34. It reads as follows. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. 
They do not labor or spend, yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the fields, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown in the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all of these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all of these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble on its own. Let's pray. God, we love you for your scripture. Lord, we love that you have laid out guidelines for us to live. Lord, we pray that today our ears would be open to hear, our hearts would be open to receive, God, and our lives would be open to apply the word that you've got for us today. Lord, speak to us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Truth is that Jesus is against high anxiety and unhealthy worry. He doesn't want you to be anxious about anything, and He doesn't want you to worry. Consequently, He provides us with two reasons here under the verse that, that I believe that we shouldn't worry. And the first one, and we find it in, in Matthew six twenty-five to 30, is that worry is an exercise in futil- futility. Jesus promises to meet your needs because He cares for you. He begins this section with a negative command that says, For this reason I say to you, do not be worried about life as to what you will eat or drink, nor for your body as to what you will put on. The phrase for this reason ties back to six, to chapter 6, 24, verse 6. And Jesus' point is, if you can't serve God in money, right? It says you, Jesus said that. You can't serve God in money. If you can't serve God in money, then you can't worry about the material things that money can buy. The phrase, do not be worried, can literally be translated to stop worrying. That's pretty simple, isn't it? Jesus wants his followers to stop worrying over food, over drink, over clothes, because he's going to meet their basic material needs. Now, I need to put forth two disclaimers. The first one is to not worry doesn't mean that you don't plan. King James Version translates the phrase, do not be worried, as take no thought. It's misleading because it gives the impression that future planning is unnecessary. And over the years, many people have mistakenly assumed that this is a prohibition against career ambition, financial planning, and life insurance. But that's not at all what Jesus is saying. Jesus is pro-planning. He wants you to work hard and to plan for your future. To do otherwise would be foolish. The second thing is that to not worry doesn't mean not to be concerned. Listen, if you're not concerned about your children playing near traffic, you're a terrible parent. Right? If you're not concerned about your health, you just might be a fast food junkie. You need to have some kind of degree of healthy concern. Otherwise, you won't meet deadlines or go in for medical checkups. The root idea of the verb worry means to be pulled apart. There's a difference between concern and worry. 
Concern is when you can do something to help the situation. So when you have concern, you do what you can do. Yet worry is when you can't do something, but you don't want to leave it up to God. In other words, worry is concern gone haywire. You can spiritualize it all you want, but worry is sin. If you are a worrying Christian, then you are a sinning Christian. It doesn't take, and it doesn't carry much weight with Jesus that He's your first love, and then you act like you can't trust Him to look after you. Worry is a hideous sin to God because it's an indictment against Him. It's a slap at His love and His provision. So what do I do? Don't worry. Be hopeful. Jesus gives us four reasons why we shouldn't worry. The first is this, that God will ensure your survival. Jesus says in chapter 6, verse 25, that that is not life more than food and the body more than clothing. Jesus provides an argument from the greater to the lesser. Since God gave you life, surely He can sustain that life. Almost tongue-in-cheek, Jesus says, if you're going to worry, at least worry about something important such as life. We worry whether we're going to have something to eat. Some of you right now are worried about what you're going to eat for lunch and where you're going to go sit down. Jesus says we better worry about whether we're going to be alive to chew. God says, if I'm going to wake you up tomorrow, I'm going to feed you. Now, which is easier, feeding you or waking you up? Don't worry about breakfast tomorrow. Worry about whether your heart is going to stop tonight. Worry about whether I'm going to keep your brain working and your heart pumping. If you're determined to worry, worry about that. Now, most of us don't worry about stuff like that, do we? We assume that when we go to bed at night that we're going to wake up the next day. Jesus says if if God has the power to keep you alive and to wake you up tomorrow, then He will see to it that you have something to eat and something to wear tomorrow. Listen, if you buy in to the Creator God, you've got to buy in to the Sustainer God. Or simply... If you don't do that, you're simply inconsistent in your faith. If you believe that God is a God of creation, then you have to believe that God is a God of sustainment, or you're simply inconsistent. On a much smaller scale, if a jeweler gives you an expensive diamond ring as a gift, do you think he'll give you a box to put it in? Yeah, of course he will. The gift of the ring assumes the box. Similarly, if the Lord gives you life, He's going to take care of that life. Jesus anticipates a follow-up question. God can provide, but will He provide? Second thing I see is that God will meet your material needs. Jesus said in verse 26, Look at the birds of the air that they do not sow nor reap nor gather into their barns, and yet the Heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth more than they are? Jesus now moves from lesser to greater. And the word translated look is a compound verb that can be translated to take a good look at. It's more than just a casual glance. 
since all of humans are created in the image of God, men and women are far more valuable to God than birds are. Birds expend energy doing what's natural, such as building nests and collecting food for their young, yet it's actually God who feeds and clothes them. The point is that when the disciples are responsible to carry out the proper ways of life as ordained by God, God is faithful to carry out His responsibilities. At one time or another, you've likely heard from a parent, a sibling, a teacher, an employer, a spouse, the message, you're unlovable. Words like, can't you do anything right? Why can't you be more like your sister? Or what's wrong with you anyways? Or I've found someone else. Truth is, these words erode your sense of value until you start to doubt whether even God loves you. Yet the last phrase of verse 26 demonstrates your value to God. If He cares for the birds, how much more valuable are you? Don't worry. Be hopeful. Third thing that I see is that God will grant your allotted days. Jesus said in verse 27, And who of you being worried can add a single hour to his life? truth is that worrying may actually shorten your life. Are you worrying so much that you're losing sleep? Listen, God stays up all night. Why should you? You're the one who needs to sleep. There was a man who began to worry that he would get cancer. The serious disease had been prevalent in his family, so he began to worry about it. He worried about it for 30 years, and then suddenly he died of a heart attack. Listen, worrying is such a waste of time. Should you be concerned about your health? Absolutely. Should you do the best you can to stay healthy? Absolutely. But after you've done all that you can do, don't worry. To worry is to insult the God who has your life under control. The word worry comes from an Anglo-Saxon word that means to choke or to strangle. Can I tell you, I believe that that's an apt description of what worry does to us. It strangles us. Truth is that worry won't stretch your savings account. It won't bring back that prodigal son or daughter. It won't keep cancer or sensibility at bay. But it will cause you to lose sleep. It will give us ulcers and high blood pressure and headaches. It'll sour our mood and distance our friends and eventually stifle our relationship with God. It not only has physical consequences, but it also has spiritual consequences as well. A little bit of tidbit and information about me that you probably don't know. I love to rock. Not talking about my taste in music, although I do, that would be true as well. But I'm talking about my love for rocking chairs. Anybody love rocking chairs? Remember my grandparents had a rocking chair in their living room. And I could sit there and I could rock for hours. As wonderful as rocking is, it doesn't really accomplish a whole lot, does it? You don't make forward progress. You're moving but you're not going anywhere. The truth is, I probably don't burn too many calories while I'm rocking in a rocking chair either. 
Truth is that worry is basically like rocking. It'll get you started as you move back and forth, but it's never going to take you anywhere. It's futile to sit in a rocking chair and think that you're going to get to work on time, that you're going to make your dinner date, and it's just as futile to think that worrying is going to do anything to resolve some of the difficulties in your life. It accomplishes nothing. It does It doesn't put more money in the bank. It doesn't make your body well. It doesn't reverse a decline in the Dow Jones Industrial Average. So listen, don't worry. Be hopeful. The fourth reason that I see here is that God will cover your external appearance. Jesus said, why are you worried about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They do not toll, nor do they spin. Yet I say to you that not even Solomon in all of his glory clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown in the furnace, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Jesus says, don't be worried about what you'll wear. Just look at the flowers. At first glance, Jesus' word about the lilies like the birds are lovely but they're not very compelling. Sure, birds and and lilies don't have to worry about life, but they also don't have mortgages and car payments and grocery bills and college tuitions and college loan to keep them awake at night. Yet, here Jesus says, God will meet your need for clothing. Listen, you may not be decked out in the latest designer wear or the newest trends, but you'll have what you need. The verb observe is a strong word. It means more than just a casual glance. It means to study the beauty of the flowers. The emphasis shifts slightly in in verse 30 where Jesus speaks of clothing of the grass of the field. Like flowers, grass is, is transient and even less impressive, right? Unless you're a lawn guy, you, you've never walked to somebody's yard and been like just moved to tears over their grass, right? You, you've probably never like walked into somebody's yard and started doing yard angels in the middle of their grass. Matter of fact, if they had nice grass and you were doing that, they'd probably yell at you like some grumpy old man, get off my lawn! Grass is not that impressive. Yet God clothes the grass whether we fertilize it or not. Jesus longs for you to learn a lesson from the flowers and the grass of the grass and he closes with a rebuke you of little faith which is an expression only directed to Jesus disciples it indicates not an abs- not an absence of faith but a deficiency of faith Jesus is saying trust me to meet your needs God's trustworthiness is the issue here did God take care of you yesterday what about the day before What about the day before that? Then how come you're worried today? What kind of father do you have? Listen, some people have sufficient faith to believe that God will get them into heaven, but not enough faith to believe that He will get them through the next 24 hours. They're absolutely confident of the sweet by and by, but they're terrified of the nasty here and now. Fog. Anybody like driving in fog? Truth is that fog can blanket a city for seven blocks and be as as much as a hundred feet deep. 
But if you could take that fog and, and change it into water, it would only fill up a single glass. Worries like a gigantic fog that can blind you and cause you to take your eyes off the Lord. But when you see worry for what it is, you realize that it's nothing more than a mere glass of water. When you try to actually grab onto the worry that you're consumed with, it's so fleeting that it's not even there. Have you ever tried to grab fog? I have. I don't know what that says about me, but I've tried. When you grab fog, do you, do you like, can you grab it and put it in your pocket and take the fog home with you? No, you grab it and it's not there. Worry's the same thing. Jesus said, God will guide you through the fog of worry if you let him lead the way. He alone can overcome your worries. Don't worry. You've got to be faithful or you've got to be hopeful. So we know that worry is an exercise in futility. Why? For the simple reason that Jesus will meet all of our material needs. I believe that Jesus provides a, a second reason that we shouldn't worry. And it's this, that worry is a demonstration of faithlessness. In verses 31 to 34, the, the verses repeat the prohibition from 625 and summarizes the reasons from 26 through 30. And it draws a conclusion. And Jesus says, Do not worry then, saying, What will we eat, what will we drink, or what will we wear for clothing? The prohibition is stated in 631, Do not worry. But the grammar is different here in this verse than it was in verse 25. Here, Jesus is saying, Do not begin worrying. In 32 and 33, two reasons that are given for why we should not worry. First, the Gentiles unconverted people who didn't even love Jesus or love God at that point they eagerly seek these things in Jesus day the, the pagans pursued food and drink and clothing because they didn't know God as a loving father they were tormented by anxiety because they believed their future was in the hands of fate and fortune Jesus is saying that worry is practical atheism when you or I worry, we're behaving just like unbelievers. Do I ever worry? Of course I do. I have many responsibilities and pressures, yet my desire is for worry to be a small town I pass through, not a place to hang my hat. I want worry to be a momentary phase, not a lifestyle. Second reason not to worry here from these scriptures is that your Heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. Listen, if, if my children worried about what I was going to feed them or, or if I was going to clothe them, I'd feel pretty bad about the way they thought of me and saw me as a father. The truth is that when my kids worry, they indict me as a father. When you worry, you're saying to God, God, I don't really know about you. I'm not sure you're a caring God. I'm not sure that you're a providing God. You're good for church on Sunday but I'm not sure about you so I've got to take care of myself listen God will take care of you don't worry be hopeful after providing two reasons not to worry Jesus gives a command in, in verse 33 and he says this but seek first the kingdom and his righteousness 
this is a present tense command. The word seek was used to describe an activity of a hunter who hides in a blind to hunt birds. Anybody love to hunt birds? All right, a few. Just me. Awesome. So nobody besides me will understand this. No, I'm joking. Um, listen, a hunter who's hunting birds, he's hunting for food, not just for sport. You want to know how I know that? Because if you ever tried to hunt birds, they're not the easiest thing to hit. Truth is that, that the hunter focuses his whole mind on those birds, not just what, he, what he's doing is he's always looking for the birds. He keeps his shotgun ready. The birds will be within range in any moment, and he's constantly alert. Just as a bird hunter makes birds the center of his attention, you're to make God's kingdom your top priority. This means that if you're anxious about anything, it should be about the affairs of the kingdom of God. Verse 33, Jesus now moves on from a command to a promise. He states that if you will fulfill the condition of seeking God's kingdom and His righteousness, all of these things will be added to you. Jesus specifically limits the promise to those who obey. This is what we refer to as a conditional promise. In order to get the promise, you got to fulfill the condition, which was what? Seek first God, His kingdom, and His righteousness. You see, the truth is that this conditional promise only applies to Jesus' disciples that are totally sold out to Him. Those committed to building their own temporary financial kingdom receive no such assurances. This promise is hopeful upon seeking first God's kingdom. It's not a license for laziness. One element of seeking God's kingdom first and His righteousness is working. Disciples are promised survival, not affluence. Is the promise always fulfilled? Does God always provide for the needs of His children throughout the world? When Christians seek first God's kingdom and His righteousness, they will become world Christians and and He will meet the needs of those in poverty in other parts of the world. Listen, God is not saying that there will never be anyone who, who, who never starves. These are maxims that are generally true, but not exhaustively true. The statement is much like the book of Proverbs in the sense that it states general principles. They're not meant to explain every single individual occurrence, yet they're a guideline for living. Sometimes God will provide a time of need in order for believers to trust Him, to turn to Him, or to improve their character. Remember, we talked about that last week. Nevertheless, as David said in Psalm 37, 25, I have been young and now I am old, yet I have not seen the righteousness forsaken or His descendants begging bread. Don't worry. Be hopeful. In verse 34, Jesus hammers the death nail in worry. And for the third and final time, he says, so do not worry about tomorrow. Then Jesus gives two reasons why you shouldn't worry. The first is that tomorrow will care for itself. The problem with worrying about tomorrow is you never run out of tomorrows. Tomorrow's always coming. You've got to learn to live one day at a time. God only gives you the help that you need for today. We have to learn to rely on God to meet our needs daily. 
He doesn't give you tomorrow's help today. So don't worry about what you're going to do tomorrow because when you get to tomorrow, God's grace will be there to meet you and to give you what you need. So Mark Twain once said, I'm an old man and I have known a great many troubles, but most of them never happened. Isn't that the way worry takes place? We worry about stuff and we worry and we worry. And the very thing that we worried about never materializes. Second reason not to worry is that each day has enough trouble of its own. Jesus is saying something quite interesting. You won't seek under the burden of today's crisis, but tomorrow's agenda puts you over the weight limit. Have you ever tried to carry too many bags of groceries at the same time? I have. I'm a one-tripper. You know what I'm talking about? I will grab as many bags as I can so that I only have to make one trip from the van or the truck to the kitchen. And it will hurt sometimes. And you guys, it's not like the old paper bags, which you could still get paper cuts on, but man, those, those plastic bags, they put everything in. If you're not careful, what a pinch your fingers just right. And by the, especially if you're carrying some heavy stuff like canned goods or milk or something, man, by the time you get there, your, your, your fingers just hurt and, 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 and men, you want to cry, but you don't want to do that because your wife may see you and she may know that you actually have feelings. And you carry them. But you know what I've done before? Because I refused to make a second trip. Did you know that I've dropped an entire gallon of milk before and it busted all over the floor? A gallon of milk is a lot of liquid to clean up in a kitchen. This morning my daughter spilled a bowl of milk and it felt like it was a ton of milk. But a gallon of milk seems, I don't, I don't know how, but it somehow covers an entire kitchen. I've carried bags and, and all of a sudden because I was carrying everything, the bottom of one of the bags of cans bust out and then I've got green beans rolling to the street. I know what you're saying. Pastor, you're a manly man. Yes. But there's only one problem. So when we try to carry too much weight, it overwhelms us and it can sometimes overpower us. I've spilled milk, I've had bags explode, I've dropped eggs, I've bruised fruit. Truth is, many times I leave spills all over the place. The lesson is, don't carry too much baggage at once. Learn to make multiple trips instead of one. Jesus tells you to carry today's bag today and to make a fresh trip tomorrow. Listen, tomorrow is going to have trouble, it's unavoidable. Listen, Monday's coming. Some of us have been off an entire week or some have been off for a few days and, and Monday is coming and I'm sure Monday is going to be a Monday of Mondays. But worrying about it isn't going to change the fact that in just over 12 hours it's going to be Monday. Guess what? Whether I worry or not, Monday is still coming. Listen, no Christian should ever be caught in what I call the then syndrome. Then things are going to be trouble-free. When I get married, then I'll be beyond trouble. Yeah, right. When I have children, then I'll be trouble-free. 
All right, scratch that one. That one's not good either. Um, When I get a promotion, then I'll be happy. Nope. Truth is that it's futile to try and live a problem-free life. Why? Because problems come. You can spend all your time and energy fortifying the castle of your life, but there's always going to be a place that goes unguarded. Tomorrow will have its challenges and trials no matter how much you try and prevent them. Leave tomorrow alone. Listen, when that day dawns, God's going to give you the grace and the strength that you need for it. The present time, you've got His strength and His grace that He has given you for today. Did you notice that your calendar only gives you one day at a time? I mean, if you look at the calendar, you see lots of days, right? Well, what happens on a calendar? Each day has its own block, right? You want to know why? Because all you can take it is one day at a time. Man, I am excited about Christmas morning. I love Christmas morning. The excitement on my kids' faces. But here's the truth, and and my kids are already there. Dad, is it Christmas yet? No. No, it's not. Don't ask again. If you ask again, you're not getting anything for Christmas. I'm going to tell Santa you were bad, right? Um, No, just us. We're Okay, there's a couple parents. Awesome. Um, But the truth is that the calendar only has one date in each block for a reason, and that's that you can only take life one day at a time. Listen, the other truth of it is that the days always happen in order. Monday always follows Sunday, followed by Tuesday, followed by Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and then Sunday again. And guess what? Today is the 27th, and you know what that means tomorrow is? It's the 28th, and then the 29th, and the 30th, and the 1st, all the way up through the 31st in December. There's a progression that happens, and if you try and jump out of that progression, it messes your life up. Has anybody ever woke up on a Thursday thinking it was Friday, and you went through the entire day thinking it was Friday, and then you get to the end of the day, and somebody says, I'll see you tomorrow, and you go, no, I won't, it's Saturday tomorrow, and they're like, dude, today's Thursday. And you're going, no! Stay in one square at a time. Someone said that worrying doesn't rob tomorrow of its sorrow. It robs today of its joy and its strength. Listen, don't let this happen to you. Don't worry. Be hopeful. Listen, if you're a chronic worrier, I've got a suggestion for something that you might find helpful. Is there anybody here that would say, Pastor, man, I'm a chronic worrier. Like, I try not to be, but like stuff just creeps up. Anybody going to be honest to say, okay, sweet, seven, eight of us. Cool. Here, here's a great suggestion that I think would be an incredible opportunity. First, find a shoebox. Shoeboxes are easy to find, right? If you're, if, you're, if you're married to my wife, there's like 20 of them in our closet. Um, but luckily, I'm the only one married to my wife, so I'll just take one of those. Then, find the shoebox, then tape the lid on it, and then cut you a hole in it. We're going to call this your worry box. Whenever you feel tempted to worry, I want you to write your worry on a piece of paper and drop it in the box. And here's what you can say. Lord, this is my concern. And it has the potential to become a worry. You've told me not to worry, so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to put it in my worry box and let you take responsibility for it. 
Anything that I put in this box will be there because I can't handle it on my own. Once it's in the box, I'm going to trust you to handle it for me, Lord, and I'm going to leave it in the box. Truth is that many times we pray and we ask God to take our worry from us and we give it to Him, don't we? And we sometimes answer an altar call and we come down to the front and we give it all to God, right? Reminds me of the joke uh, of a guy that he was young in church and, and the pastor said, bring all your troubles to the altar. And his mom grabbed him by the hand and took him to the altar and left him there. But you see, we do that, don't we? We answer the altar call and, and, and we get right with God and we bring our troubles and our worries to Him. Yet you know what we do many times? When we say amen, when nobody's looking, we pick it back up and put it in our pocket and we continue to carry it around. Why? That's easy, isn't it? It's easy to worry. But it takes faith to trust God to do what only God can do. Here's the truth. As many of you facing things in your life that, that you have tried with all of your power to get a handle on it. You have done everything you know how to do and it seems like nothing's working. Can I tell you, it's probably time for you to stop trying to do what only God can do. See, that's the issue. Sometimes we think we're better than God is and we know better for our lives than what God does. You want to know why? Because of our lack of faith. Truth is, if you're going to serve God, you've got to begin to have faith and you've got to trust that God loves you and God will take care of you. My kids love to jump in my arms. I, I love when, when my kids were smaller, I loved to freak my wife out by grabbing the baby, and all you dads have done it, right? And you go, <laughs> right? And, and, and like, to me as a dad, I look like I'm just tossing them like a foot over their head, right? To the child, it looks like I'm about five foot over my head. But to a mom, it looks like I've tossed them like half a mile over my head. And she's sitting there worried. But you know the crazy thing? is my kids never worry about whether or not daddy's going to catch them. If we're at the pool and my sons jump off the ledge and say, Daddy, catch me. You know what I do? I catch them. Have I ever dropped one of my kids when I've tossed them up? No. Not in your life. You can forget that. Why? Because I love them and I want to protect them and I want to make sure that they've got everything that they need. I always catch them and I always will. Listen, Josiah, Jonathan, and Sophia have no fear that Daddy won't catch them. None. Likewise, God asks you to take a leap of faith and trust in His ability to catch you. He is trustworthy and He alone can meet your needs.
So trust Him today. Trust God. I've said it probably about ten times in the message. Don't worry. Be hopeful. Listen, worrying is not going to fix anything. You can try all you will. But the thing you're worrying about is still going to be there. So what would happen if you decided to exercise your faith and sort of trusting God to do the thing that only He can do? If you will, bow your heads and close your eyes with me. Today, you'd say, Pastor, and I struggle with worry. I try not to. But man, sometimes it just invades my life. Sometimes it becomes overwhelming. And I'm tired of it. I want to learn to trust God when I can't trust myself. When I've done everything I know to do, I want to stop worrying about it and I want to start trusting God more. If that's you, I want you to just stand where you are right now. Anyone else? God, you see those that have stood this morning. God, that have said that that worry is a big deal in their life. They don't mean for it to be, but God, it seems to, to sneak in. God, we ask that you would help us to be people of faith. God, that we'd work as hard as we can. We'd do everything we know to do. But God, when we reach that point when we don't know what else to do, God, the only thing that we would do is turn it over to you. God, because we know us worrying about it, it's not going to change anything. The only thing that will change it is if you do the thing that only you can do. So God, I pray over specific situations that people are worrying about. God, maybe it's finances, maybe it's health, maybe it's relationships, maybe it's sons or daughters or grandchildren that have walked away. Maybe it's a spouse that's not living right. Maybe it's a shattered marriage. God, whatever those situations are this morning, God, we place them at your feet. God, not to to say, God, take it, and then we take it back. But God, to leave it. God, to have full trust in you. God, trust when we can't control the situations ourselves. God, trust when there seems to be no hope. God, and because we love Him, Lord, we know 
that we can trust you. God, forgive us when our faith is not what it should be. God, when we have a deficiency in our faith, Lord, forgive us. God, that each and every one of us would learn to trust you more today than we did yesterday. God, and more tomorrow than we did today. God, we love you and we worship you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, one more announcement. Um,